Please turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. We're in verse 18, going through the book of Romans. Also invite you back on Wednesday night as we'll be looking at Romans chapter 1 in depth. A little disclaimer, if uh, you've got young kids, uh, the content of the second half of Romans uh, 1 is pretty intense. Uh, covers uh, some uh, difficult topics. I think church is a great place to learn uh, those, those things, uh, but we're not going to shy away uh, from those issues as they come up. So, so parents, uh, as we pray, if you're like, my kiddo's not ready uh, for that, uh, you know, feel free to, to head out to, to the foyer. Now I've got all of your attention. Like that's the the best way to start a sermon right there. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth and your truth sets us free. We know that your uh, truth is not cultural, but it is biblical. And so God, we want to hear your truth and we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you came for us as sinners to save us and to set us free. So Holy Spirit, would you bless this time in your word in Jesus name. Amen. In this section of Romans chapter 1, we really see the downward spiral of a soul. And Paul has entered into a new section of the book of Romans. He's introduced his purpose that he is to establish the church of Rome in the gospel. We learned last week the good news that Jesus died for our sins and rose again. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation and the just shall live by faith. Paul is going to spend now almost three chapters showing us and proving to us why we need salvation by grace. That we can only be saved through uh, the blood of Jesus. And that takes us from chapter 1, verse 18, all the way to chapter 3, verse 20, where Paul then declares, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If you're not sure that you're a sinner... As we start this message, I'm pretty sure by the end of the message, you'll be convinced uh, by the, the word of God. So Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is painting a, a black backdrop for the gem of the gospel. We see our sin and we see our depravity, but thankfully God did not leave us there, but sent his son to die for us while we were still sinners. Now, I got a challenge for you this morning. As we go through this section, it's easy to almost go us and them. As believers, we go not seeing our own sin and our own depravity and looking at a culture that has rejected Christ and going, wow, this section really busts culture. And it does, absolutely, but it also busts us. And so we're reminded of, of our sin, and also we have great hope and forgiveness for ourselves, but forgiveness for the world, for those that are willing to turn to Christ and receive Christ as their Savior. Verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So God's wrath, his righteous punishment, his righteous indignation is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. We've got a cultural mindset that it's unloving for God to judge sin. But let's think about that for a few moments. If somebody commits a crime and they're, they're guilty of the crime, they're arrested, they're taken before a judge and a jury uh, possibly, and they're found to be guilty of this crime, is it unjust for the judge to hold them accountable? Is it unjust for, for the jury to hold them accountable? 
part of our system here in Colorado Springs is you get a jury notice and it's like, oh man, do I have, have jury duty? And you call in the day before and you're like, yep, I've, I've got to go down. And maybe you get then appointed to be upon a jury. Are, are you a bad guy because you're on the jury? Are you, are you unjust because you looked at all of the evidence and said, man, I, I feel for you, but you are guilty. And so there's consequences that come towards that. But for some reason, we want to look at God and say, well, God is unjust for holding us accountable for our sin, but it's really our unrighteousness. It's our ungodliness that is the problem. It's not God's holiness that's the problem. So this downward spiral of the soul, it begins with holding down the truth, suppressing the truth. This word suppress, it literally means to hold down. It's not passive. It's active. And this is where the downward spiral of our soul begins. And we can look back probably at different points in our lives and go, man, things got really dark when I started to hold down the truth, when I started to suppress the truth. When we do look at our culture and we go, how in the world can our culture get to this place where it's so dark and it's so wicked and it's so evil? Well, it's the suppression of truth. It's holding down of truth. And we're going to see that God's made himself evident. He's made truth accessible to us. It's this willing decision of saying, I don't want truth in my life. I'm going to suppress truth. I'm going to suppress the, the knowledge of God. Bear with me. Think about it this way. The stomach flu. We've had a rash of the stomach flu in our house uh, this year. And I hate the stomach flu. I hate throwing up. So a couple things happen to me when I get the stomach flu and the first is, is I just suppress it. I think, you know, if I just pretend like this is not going to happen, I will not vomit. <laughs> I will not have the urge to regurge. And if I just, if I just hold it in there long enough, I'm not, I'm not going to puke, right? And Amber's telling me, just quit being a baby and just let it out. Like, you'll feel better. So I'm moaning and I'm, I'm groaning. And then I go into this second phase of repentance of like, God, please forgive me. Like, what did I do to get the stomach flu? Like, I need to get right with you, right? And then finally the, the vomit wins out and I puke and I, I feel better. But that's the idea of suppress. Now you're going to remember that, right? <laughs> don't, don't suppress the truth. Embrace uh, the truth. Allow God's truth to have impact and effect in your heart and in your life. Verse 19, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are seen. God has manifest himself. The word manifest is to be made clearly evident. God has clearly revealed himself uh, to us. It takes suppressing the truth to reject God. The way that God has revealed himself, one of the ways, is through creation. And here we're told that his invisible attributes are seen through creation. You have to work really hard to be an atheist. It takes a great measure of faith to get to a place of saying, I can look at creation and deny that there's a creator. Design demands a designer. We do it all the time. You look at a car and you're like, Ah, uh, that just evolved. It just, just 
came together, all those, all those pieces. No, there's a lot of design, so there has to be a designer. More so than any prior generation, we have evidence of the fact that there is a creator. Science keeps pointing to the fact that there is a, a creator. There's many who have been atheists in the past and believed in evolution, but now by looking at DNA, they say evolution is absolutely impossible. We look into the detail of DNA and we go, this has to happen by a designer. We have more knowledge of the universe than anyone else in prior history. You take a look at at the universe and you come away with the conclusion that the earth is flat. Oh, you're a genius, right? No. Obviously, the earth is not flat. We've got images of the earth being in in a circle. I don't know how that conspiracy theory continues to, to get movement, but it does. But you look at the Hubble spacecraft and all of the images that are produced from that, and you go, man, there has to be a creator. A sunrise, there's a creator. A sunset, there's a creator. Parents, as you hold your child in your hands, you realize, man, there is a, a creator. So there's this rejection of the fact that God is the creator, and through his creation, he even reveals his invisible attributes. He reveals his character and his care for us being understood by the things that are made. So, so we do understand, but we reject that truth. Even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. This is an amazing claim from Scripture that through creation, God's attributes are seen, his eternal power is seen, even the Godhead is revealed to the point that we're without excuse. From God's perspective, this is God's word, he says, Here I've revealed myself through creation, and if you reject the fact that there's a creator, you're the one that's without excuse. Because God has clearly communicated. God has manifested himself to us. Psalms 19 puts it this way, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmaments show his handiwork. Day unto day utter speech, night unto night reveal knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. No culture where the testimony of creation is not heard, their line had gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. Verse 21, Because although they knew God, they didn't glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So they knew God. There's this knowledge of God, but they didn't acknowledge God. This is the refusal to acknowledge God for who he is. Didn't glorify God as God. God's revealing himself, but there's this conscious decision that says, I am not going to give glory to God. I'm not going to acknowledge him for for who he is. I'm not going to acknowledge the creator. When we do examine our culture and we go, how did our culture get to the place where it is? Well, walk through Romans chapter 1. There's this suppression of truth, this holding down of truth. And then culturally, there's this rejection that God is the creator. We don't want God to be part of education. Let's kick God out of of our schools. Let's teach kids that they've evolved. And then we're surprised that they act like animals, right? It's huge for our worldview if we understand I'm created by God. Those around me are, are created by God. So there's this refusal to give glory to God. There's this refusal to acknowledge the Lord. 
Even as believers, we can get to a place where we begin to drift from the Lord if we're suppressing truth. There's truth that God's convicting us of and we're holding it down. We're not giving God glory that he desires. Then we see that they're unthankful. Nor were unthankful. And the result of being unthankful is futile in their thoughts. The word futile means that it can't produce anything. It can't produce anything of benefit or worth or good. And then their foolish hearts were darkened. This has a huge effect to suppress the truth. To refuse to acknowledge God. Then to be unthankful. It's easy to give ourselves the pass on grumbling and complaining. I kind of feel like maybe one of my spiritual gifts is grumbling and complaining. (laughs) There was a season in elementary school where my parents were giving us some incentive. And for my brother, it was like, hey, if you can stop biting your nails for for a month, you'll get this mini Pac-Man game. It was pretty cool. And for me, it was like, Eric, if you can stop complaining for a month, you'll get a mini Pac-Man game. I never got the mini (laughs) Pac-Man I never even claimed close. I mean, I didn't even get to a week, right? And to this day, I can wake up and tell you the 10 things that I hate. And the 10 things I hate about you. And the 10 (laughs) things I hate about this world. I mean, I can just really get going. And I've I've just gotten out of bed. And I feel it in my soul when I let that run wild. I just grumble, grumble, complain, mumble, mumble. All of the things that I don't like. You know, maybe pessimism really comes, comes my way. When we walk in that place of being unthankful, there's, there's a darkening of our hearts. How do you know if you're in the will of God? If you drive a Honda Accord or a Honda Civic, is that, is that the will of God? Like you should drive this car or be married to this person. We know as believers, God wants us to be married to, to another believer. Or is it, is it working at this job? I know I'm in the will of God because I work in this job. You know what the Bible says about the will of God? You know you're in the will of God if you're thankful. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's God's will that we would be thankful So how many days of my Christian life have I spent outside of the will of God, right? Today, this Sunday, the last Sunday in February, we can be in the will of God if we choose to be thankful. Something happens to our minds. Something happens to our hearts when we choose to walk in unthankfulness. Remember, we have a loving Father that wants what's best for us. Jesus told us, know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The abundant life comes through being thankful. Focus on three things every day. I'm going to make a point to be thankful for three things uh, in my life. It's so easy at work to to grumble and complain. All the things that you you don't like, and that seems to spread through, through the workplace. Instead, choose to focus on the things that you're thankful for. I think since 2020, grumbling and complaining has multiplied. It's like grown legs. There's so many things that we can focus on to be unthankful if we're not careful. But thankfulness is truly what God has for us. Another step in this downward spiral is professing to be wise. They become fools. Our culture pretends to be very wise. Our culture pretends to understand everything about sexuality 
to understand everything there is about God. Either there's no God or there's not one true God. You get to choose whatever works for you. You can go to many universities throughout our country and there's going to be many that profess great wisdom. But then when you listen to it, you go, that doesn't line up with the wisdom of Scripture. It doesn't line up with the wisdom of God. Professing to be wise, they become fools and and pride has a consequence. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall, the, the Proverbs tell us. And as we think about this downward spiral in our own lives, there's this suppression of truth. There's a refusal to acknowledge God. There's an unthankfulness. And we're left in this place of pride. It's been said the problem with pride is the person that has it doesn't realize it. Everyone around us can see the pride in our lives, but our pride blinds us from from our own perspective. Going on into verse 23, and change the glory of... The incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. So changing God's glory, changing God's glory that's incorruptible. Thankfully, God's glory is incorruptible. Even though we refuse God, God doesn't, doesn't change. But in a person's perspective, they're changing the glory of God and trying to convert it to the image of a man, and also the image of creation. Corruptible man and the birds, the four-footed animals, and the creeping things. It's misplaced worship. Once we stop worshiping the Lord, what do we tend to worship? We worship ourselves. I think that's the greatest idol. That's the most popular idol, is the worship of self. Our phones really reveal to us what our priorities are. If you go to your screen time and your phone and it tells you where you're, you're spending all of, you, of your time, it reveals our hearts. It reveals what I'm, I'm looking for. Why am I spending so t- much time on Craigslist? I don't even need anything. Why am I spending so much time on Facebook Marketplace? I, I don't even need anything. Does that reveal some longing in my heart? Does that re- reveal some, some covetousness? It, it's the worship of ourselves. You know, sin is really expressed in, in the worship of ourselves instead of the worship of God. But then also to worship creation instead of the creator. Anthropology shows this throughout history that man tends, when they reject God, is to make idols of themselves and of creation. To begin to, to worship the animals instead of worshiping God. I... I like animals. They're okay. I'm not an animal person. I'll admit that to you this morning. But why would you want to worship an animal over God? I mean, birds are cool, but really? You know? It's like dogs are cool, but really? We're going to worship the the animal kingdom? We're going to care more about these animals than a relationship with the, the living God? Now, notice the result of this. Verse 24. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness... In the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. This is the perversion of life. This is sexual depravity. This is the downward spiral. These decisions have consequences. Suppressing the truth. Refusing to acknowledge God. Being unthankful. Beginning to worship ourselves and idols. Then eventually this affects our behavior. And God 
confirms our decision. And he says, okay, I'm going to give you over to the lust of your heart. This is what's in your heart. This is what you've been longing for. And so now you get to have it and begin to dishonor each other through their bodies, through sexual sin. Kent Hughes puts it this way, man-centered idolatry leads to dehumanization of one another. Man-centered idolatry leads to the dehuman... Yeah. (laughs) Of each other. So when we get our worship of God off, it's going to affect the way that we treat each other. In verse 25, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worship and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Sometimes our kids make trades. And the older kids have a way of taking advantage of the younger kids where the younger kids are so excited to trade, but at the end of it, they got the raw end of the deal, right? They'll sit down with the younger kids and say, don't ever trade with your older sibling again, right? It's kind of the way of of older siblings, right? This is the worst trade ever in verse 25, is you're exchanging the truth of God The truth of who God is, his love for us, forgiveness of sins, his truth that leads to liberty, that leads to freedom, and we're replacing it with a lie. And we're worshiping and serving the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. The creator is the one who loves us. The creator is the one who has the power to be able to, to set us free. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use For what is against nature. Likewise, also men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their hearts for one another. Men with men, committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. Just like God has a plan for us to be thankful, He also has a plan for our sexuality. God designed us. As sexual beings. And inside of his design, it's good and beautiful. In Genesis, the first few chapters, God creates Adam and Adam's alone. God says it's not good. God creates Eve. And God tells us at the very beginning of his word that he created Adam and Eve, male and female, in his image. Why is gender so attacked? Because gender, male, and female reflect the glory of God, reflect the image of God. So if you cancel out gender, you cancel out male and female, you're canceling out the image of God. Men, you bear the image of God as a man, as a male. Women, you bear the image of God as a female. Marriage, God's institution between a man and a woman, wasn't good for Adam to dwell alone. God creates Eve, brings Eve to Adam. Adam is extremely blessed, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. The first wedding, it's God's institution. God defines marriage. Culture doesn't get to define marriage. Government doesn't get to define marriage. God defines marriage. It's his playing field. It's his institution. It's between a man and a woman. So he designed sexuality to be expressed between a man and a woman inside of the commitment of marriage. Now, I know there's a lot of confusion here. And some of you may be really offended. And you're like, I just want to get out, get up and walk out right now. 
But that's kind of awkward. Please stay with me on this. Is God loves you. He really does. And he's got a great plan for you inside of sexuality. And it begins with accepting of saying, okay, God's created me male. I don't get to choose. I don't know what gave us the idea that somehow we get to choose gender. God chooses that for us. So this is an argument that I have with God. God, you created me male. Ladies, God created you female. I'm accepting the gender that God has created me, and I want to bear his image. And if there's wrestling there, have those conversations with the Lord and and talk that through with the Lord and sit down with someone that can walk through that uh, with you. And then by God's grace and the power of his spirit to to say, I'm going to accept God's design for sexuality. And what happens when there's this rejection of God, there's this suppression of truth, there's this unthankfulness, God turning over to the lusts in their hearts, there's homosexuality that is expressed. And, And there's a lot said about homosexuality just in these two verses. God says homosexuality is a vile passion. It's not what God intended for sexuality. It's unnatural. It's against nature. You you don't see it in the animal kingdom. You see male and female mating for the purpose of procreation. It's an expression of lust. It's not an expression of love. God says here in his word that it's shameful And that also it comes with a cost. There's receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which is due. There's real consequences that come with sexual sin when we're outside of of God's design. Now, we've got to keep reading, and this is why. Because God's going to go on to also address being disobedient to parents. In the Old Testament... If you were disobedient and disrespectful to parents, you could be stoned to death. That's how serious God was about it. I would have not made it to 16. I would have not made it, right? The point of this, what we're reading, is that we're all sinners and need a Savior. All of us. We're going to read about whispering and backbiting. That destroys people and it hurts the, the heart of God. So yes homosexuality is sin. Yes, any sex outside of of marriage is sin. But also, all of these other things are listed to point us, to bring us to this place of, I see the black backdrop, and that's that I'm a sinner. And I see the beauty and the glory of the fact that Jesus died for me and my sin to bring forgiveness into my life, but also the power to bring me out of darkness, to bring me out of sexual sin, to bring me out of covetousness and being a gossip and being dishonoring to my parents. In verse 28, and even as they didn't like to retain God in their mind, God gave them over to a debased mind to do the things which are not fitting. Retaining the knowledge of God in your mind. The battle is won and lost in our mind. Thoughts don't just stay in our minds, they become actions. That's why it's so important to spend time in the Word of God, to memorize the Word of God, to be renewed in our minds, to to listen to a podcast, to to come to church, to worship. It's our mind. We're we're retaining the knowledge of God in in our mind because once we stop retaining the the knowledge of God, our mind becomes debased. It it becomes disqualified or or unfit to do the things which are, are, are fitting. 
being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, sex outside of, of marriage. This would include pornography, it would include sex before marriage, it would include adultery, lust in our hearts, sexual immorality, wickedness, all different forms of, of evil, covetousness. It's longing for something that God hasn't provided. I can't tell you how many times I've driven by my neighbor's yard in covetousness. You know, oh man, look at his grass, right? You know, why can't my grass be that green? Because utilities are ridiculously expensive, right? But, but covetousness can just poke at your, at your heart and can get the, get the best of us so easily. Maliciousness is the desire to inflict harm. How many times have we desired to inflict harm on, on someone? Full of envy. Why did they kill Jesus? Why did the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, go after Christ? Because of envy, the Gospels tell us. Everybody was following Jesus. And they longed for that attention. They longed for that, that power. Envy is, is sin before the Lord. Murder. Strife. Deceit. Evil-mindedness. They are whisperers. Interesting how this is worded. Murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, they are whisperers. So murder in the heart, strife in the heart, deceit in the heart, evil-mindedness, it leads to then wanting to destroy somebody with our words, wanting to talk behind their back. Backbiters, haters of God, just this absolute hatred for the Lord. That, that's this downward spiral. How do we get a culture that hates God so intently? Well, it's been a process. Suppressing the truth, refusing to acknowledge God, being unthankful, exchanging the truth of God for a lie, and then it results in this, this hard heart towards the Lord. Violent. We live in such a, a violent culture. Sometimes it's just overwhelming to, to watch the news. I remember being about 19 and Columbine happened, just mind-blowing. The senseless violence and lives being, being taken. And then shortly after that, I was in Oregon at the time, living in Oregon. I wasn't living in Colorado. There was a mass shooting in Oregon in, in a school. And a, prior to that, I was not exposed to that kind of violence in the schools. That someone would just go in, a student would go in and kill fellow students and kill teachers. And man, it's really digressed, hasn't it? How have we gotten to the place where we all know, man, a mass shooting could happen anywhere, anytime. And people decide, I'm, I'm going to kill people that I've never even met. Well, it's Romans 1 played out. It, it's violence getting, getting the best of us because We've rejected the Lord. Proud boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient uh, to parents. And again, we kind of like to rack and stack sin, don't we? Well, this sin's got to be a lot worse than that sin. You know, whispering and backbiting, that's not too bad. Disobedient to parents, everybody does it. But God puts it all in together. It's all unrighteousness. All of us are at a place where we need a Savior undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. Sounds a lot like our culture. If you haven't been busted yet, 32 will get you. 
who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice of them. So there may not be the practice in our lives, but we approve of somebody else doing it, and God says you're guilty. To approve of is to agree with, to take pleasure in. I'd never do that, but man, I'll sure watch somebody else do it on Netflix. I'm not planning on committing adultery, but I I don't mind taking pleasure in it through a movie. I I don't plan on killing anybody, but man, I'll take pleasure in it in a a movie, uh, that approval of it. And God says we're, we're guilty before a holy God. Now, we can't stop here. If we stop here, this is the most depressing sermon you've ever heard in your life. As we go through the first few chapters of Romans, I want to keep the end of Paul's argument in view. So would you turn with me to Romans chapter 3 and look at verse 23. Romans 3, 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We get the depth of that after studying Romans 1. We're going to get even more depth of that studying chapters 2 and 3. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have suppressed the truth, have refused to acknowledge God, been unthankful. There's been something that's been listed there that's revealed sin in our lives. In verse 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, who God set forth as a propitiation by his blood. Justified freely by his grace. Justified is declared righteous. The only way, the only way we could be saved, sinners so wretched before a holy God, is the blood of a perfect sacrifice of Jesus. And his sacrifice is so worthy. As we believe in Jesus, the just shall live by faith. We're justified. We're declared righteous. We're robed in Christ's righteousness. He's the propitiation for our sins. That's a big Bible word. And what does it mean? To appease the wrath of. Jesus took the punishment for our sins. So for us that do know the Lord, this humbles us. It reminds us of our sin in a good way. It brings us afresh to the foot of the cross. We're like, I don't have anything to stand on except for the blood of Jesus. The gospel impacts our hearts. And we say, Lord, by your grace, would you keep me off this downward spiral? I don't want to suppress the truth. I want to embrace the truth. I don't want to refuse to glorify you. I'm going to choose to to glorify you. Not to earn or deserve salvation, but because I'm saved. Lord, help me to walk in thankfulness. Lord, help me to walk in sexual integrity the way that you have designed for us uh, to live. Because you, you have saved me. As you hear this message, if you're in a place of going, could God forgive me? The answer is absolutely yes. If you haven't received Christ as your Savior. A few more pages into Romans, Romans 5, 8, the verse that changed my life. But God demonstrated his love towards us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
So yes, there is the downward spiral of the soul, but we don't have to stay there. Because Jesus, this is amazing, he loves us as sinners. While we were sinners, he chose to give himself upon the cross so that we could be forgiven. So how do you get saved? Through faith, by repenting of sin and believing in Jesus. Believing that he died for you and rose again, inviting him to be the Lord of of your life. I believe that you know whether you've trusted Christ for salvation or not. And if the answer is no, then this morning, turn and receive Christ. Just a moment, we're going to stand. There'll be a prayer team here in the front. Come down and let us know. I'd like to receive Christ as my Savior. Online, you can respond to the gospel. The important thing is to see your need. In order for the good news to be good news, we have to understand the bad news. And the bad news is we're sinners and we've fallen short of the glory of God. But the good news is that Jesus has died for our sins and he has rose again. Would you stand with me and let's pray together. Father, we're humbled by your truth. We're humbled by your holiness. Your word reveals our sin to us. And we're so thankful that you didn't leave us in our sin. Father, that you sent your son, that Jesus, you were willing to come to die for our sin. And as believers, we're reminded of the depth of the power of your blood, that we're justified freely by your grace. That you have paid the price, Christ. And because of that, because of your sacrifice, we're no longer in darkness. Would you protect our hearts? Would you protect our minds? May we not go down this road of a, of a downward spiral. We pray for those that don't know you, that are trying to decide, is there a God? And am I created? And is Jesus real? Did he die for my sins and rise again? God, would you touch them with your love? We do also pray for our culture and pray for our country. Pray that there would be a spiritual revival that we would acknowledge you as God, that we would turn from our sins and see our need for you, Jesus. We pray in our lifetime that we would see many come to know you, see, see many saved. So we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.